0: everybody, and welcome back to New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Steven Siegel, and I'm coming to you from the Rocky Mountains, and I'll be your host today for our interview with Professor Emanuela Grama, who is an associate professor at Carnegie Mellon University, and she has just published a book called Socialist Heritage. The Politics of Past and Place in Romania, published by Indiana University Press in 2019. A little bit about Professor Grama. She is Associate Professor of History, Anthropology, and Anthropology in the History Department at Carnegie Mellon University. She received her PhD from the Interdisciplinary Program in Anthropology and History at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She conducted extensive archival and ethnographic research in different locations in Romania, and she's drawn on this research to write articles about the nationalization of art in early socialism, the politics of archaeology and nationalism, nationalization petitions intertextuality and citizenship, and plagiarism in post-socialism. So welcome to Emanuela Grama today.
1: Thank you, Stephen. It's really a pleasure for me to be here.
0: So uh, I want to start by asking about this beautifully produced book on socialist heritage. Could you begin by telling our listeners what it's about?
1: Sure. So uh, the title actually is um, has a, a double meaning. So first of all, uh, I'm writing about Uh, the socialist state in post-45 Romania. And I am looking at the ways in which uh, the uh, state officials, together with a set of experts, uh, including uh, historians as well as archaeologists, tried to ground uh, this radically new political project of uh, basically building socialism, literally and symbolically, in a very particularly designed past. So I'm looking on one hand at the production of uh, the heritage for the socialist regime, and specifically the ways in which uh, state officials, together with these particular experts, try to find specific uh, historical periods, uh, especially the medieval times, to use this medieval time as a sign of a um, Romanian nation, but also to anchor the socialist present in this medieval past, so uh, that would be uh, one uh dimension of what uh the socialist heritage stands for. The second is the um what uh, it's basically referring to the legacy of the socialist project that is what had what happened after the end of the uh, communist regime in uh, December 1989, um, where uh, when allegedly there was a, a significant um, um, rupture with uh, the previous regime and a promised. Uh, New democracy and freedom, so by looking at what was the legacy of the of the uh, socialist regime regime that ended in eighty nine i'm also um exploring the particular continuities between uh, visions uh, of uh, you know political order as well as very particular continuities among uh, between the former elites and the post nineteen eighty nine economic and political elites. So those who a lot who who allegedly lost power and those who gain power. Uh, so that's uh, that's the double meaning of 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 the title of the book. Um,
0: I find it really interesting throughout the book how you explore all of the meanings and implications of heritage. So. There's a lot written in this by historians and anthropologists. Can you give us an idea of, of what you would define heritage as for a working definition or, or for its many implications in, in the history of communist Romania?
1: So I will start basically with a concept first. So I actually make a conscious choice of using heritage and not a patrimony. Precisely because I'm uh, starting by looking at the etymology of the two words. So what's fascinating about uh, both words, patrimony and heritage, is that they emerged uh, somewhere in the 14th century, 13th centuries. Uh, and, uh, but the two words uh, that are now s- seem to be used interchangeably, uh, at that moment uh, represented two distinct uh two distinct relations. So one, um, patrimony has the, uh, has the, uh, comes from the, um, from pater, right, from father. So it really highlights the origins of one, um, uh, the origins of of one thing, um, be that material thing or a certain kind of tradition. So it really focuses on the origins. Heritage uh has uh in its etymology the uh, the idea of hair right so the the destination uh what's fascinating to me about this uh distinction is that whereas uh there is an assumption that uh patrimony is only about the past that is symbolically the pa- the pa- pat right the father heritage already has in its own t- etymology the uh implicit um Highlight uh, of a relation. So a relationship between the past, the father, and the present. And therefore, it's a, it's a conscious choice that I make to use uh, heritage. Uh, it's a it's a burgeoning literature right now about what heritage is. It's not only about material things. It's not only about historic monuments or historic sites. It's more about various ways in which uh, groups, individuals, states, nation states, uh, even regions try to try to ground themselves into a very particular uh, particular design past. And um, this is where I'm actually also placing placing myself and my theoretical approach in, the ways in which there are very particular agendas informed by contemporary uh, political interests that make this uh, polities, individual's group try to uh, call upon processes happening in the past to, uh, to gain a legitimacy in the present. In the context of Romania... I'm looking particularly again uh, the ways in which, uh, basically, we are talking about a new state, a new regime, is trying to gain visibility and also legitimacy from the population uh, in the aftermath of the se- aftermath of the Second World War by calling upon uh, a very particular past. I alluded earlier that I'm talking about specifically the medieval fa- medieval past. Uh, What's particular about the medieval past is that they what they were doing they were referring to specifically was the concept of feudalism so in the in the in the context of a marxist or rather a very simplified marxist approach to history we have to 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 understand that social the socialism as a specific political and economic stage would could not happen. Had not been for the exist, for the previous existence of the feudal relations of productions, so by by actually trying to uh, for uh, by trying to seek um, a proof of um, this particular fe- so called feudal past. Uh, the socialist uh, experts, uh, such, such as archaeologists and historians, were trying to justify the uh, legitimacy of the socialist project.
0: And and I think in your focus on uh, heritage as historical preservation, I want to I want to ground the story now in Old Town Budapest, so. Um, in reading your book, and, and especially in reading the introduction, I, I was absolutely dazzled and, and impressed by the kinds of historical accounts that you studied and the wide variety of research, starting with archival research, but also including ethnographic fieldwork you did. Um, I, I mean, this includes um, interviewing taxi drivers and studying phone books. Uh, that's an absolutely I think um interesting way of, of going going about the path to urban history and, and the path to studying how pol- political elites use and abuse historical preservation. So can you talk about how you were drawn to this?
1: So uh the old town in, in Bucharest in Romania's capital uh We are talking about a district that has a fascinating history. So uh, this is uh, a a district that emerged in the 17th century. Uh, Initially, uh, this was uh, the site of a medieval palace um, that was built by... um, uh, at that moment, uh, we are talking about Wallachia. Not, no, Romania did not exist as a, as, a, as a nation state at that moment. So a Wallachian prince um, in uh, 17th, uh, the end of the 17th century. And uh, given the, uh, the emergence of this palace, uh, it automatically triggered um, a much more intense economic exchange. What happened with, uh, and the palace uh, eventually uh, was um, um, uh, 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 eventually burned um, and uh, the decision for the uh, other other rulers, the uh, rulers in the uh, 18th century, uh, was to move the site of the palace up the hill. So this became what was called the old court. So it was really the ruined former court uh, of the former palace, uh, which was actually uh, part, uh, um, cut into different pieces of land and actually given to um, to various various merchants. Um, So the court disappeared, uh, but the district actually flourished uh, and it became uh, the old town. But it was really a hub of various ethnicities, economic categories, uh, and it was one of the districts that eventually uh, merged to form modern Bucharest.
0: And would you say that there was a specific form of socialist modernity and and in particular as you uh, talk about the urban visions in Bucharest and, and how it was made into a socialist capital were there were there architects who who thought very consciously about erasing the past i, I know you developed this idea of of a kind of neo-medieval revival versus the, the socialist modernity. Can you talk about that?
1: Sure. So the book starts with um, some uh, debates, a closed-door debates. Uh, between the members of the Politburo, that is uh, uh, basically the, the central officials of the Communist Party, and with and uh, particular architects who were commissioned to develop um, a new socialist master plan, so they had to really come up with a very particular vision of how to transform Bucharest into a modern socialist city, and uh, what uh, they were facing uh, were two main. Um, they were very optimistic about it, but at the same time they were facing two main limitations. One was resources. Um, well, actually, three. It was the question of resources. It was the question of time. They had to provide housing on uh, rather relatively quickly quickly to an increasing number number of people moving to Bucharest uh, to search for work. And uh, then the third, uh, the third uh, limitation was expertise. So uh, they definitely had this uh, highly optimistic, highly radical vision of what Bucharest should look like a mod- as a modern uh, socialist city. At the same time, they knew that they were confronting uh, with the post-war Bucharest, which uh, they uh, totally dis- despise. Uh, one of the bureau members actually described Bucharest as a spider web with very narrow intricate streets that were uh, really representing uh, um, really a symbol of um, economic and social disorder so they really wanted the social both the architects and the, so, the socialist uh, state officials wanted to bring order into the city that was the idea of socialist modernity it's also important uh, to understand that their promise and their vision at the same time was, uh, was um, really denying any further uh, any previous attempts of bringing order into the city that had already been pursued by architects and city officials especially during the interwar era. The main uh, one of the main concerns for uh, this team of architects and state officials uh, was the city center. So uh, they were aware that the city center, which also included the old town district, uh, represented this. Uh, so-called spider web of narrow streets. And they uh, initially thought that they can really put this to the ground and totally erase it and constructing it, reconstructing it into a modern, uh, optimist, uh, optimistic, as one arch- arch- architect put it, c- city center. But very soon they realized that they didn't have either the resources, the money to do so, uh, the time, nor the time or the experts to be able to do that. So in a way, even though they prof- profoundly uh, despised the old town uh, with all this uh, very problematic architecture and streets uh, that they, uh, they they saw as the epitome of anti-modernity, at the same time, they had to immediately realize that they, they had to find a way to uh, to keep it and perhaps alter it by uh, systematically and during during a much longer period of time.
0: Yeah, and and I'll read a passage because I think you capture the role of specialists and experts and managers well. And, and uh, it's on page 74 in the second chapter. When you talk about this quarrel between the architects and archaeologists, you write, the tug of war between the architects and the archaeologists is the early 1950s and early 1960s. Over the political and historical value of the old court revealed in part a complex struggle for political and institutional visibility in the socialist system. Those competing agendas triggered frustrations among each group of stakeholders. The architects had to comply with the requirement that archaeological research be carried out before any further architectural intervention could be undertaken in the city center, the archaeologists, on the other hand, felt pressed to get their work done at an impossible pace, and sometimes they may have even been strategically disinvited, I love this, from beginning an excavation. So I, it seems to me that there are a lot of silences here in addition to the, to the tug of war. Can, can you talk a little about that?
1: Yes, well, so uh, what was very particular about uh, the uh, pursuit of um, the modernization of Bucharest in in starting basically with late uh, 40s, early 50s, was that for the very first time, uh, the archaeologists archaeologists were allowed to dig in the city center before there were never uh, archaeological excavations pursued in the city center. So uh, archaeologists... Uh, found this uh, as an amazing opportunity to be able to learn more about the history of um, of, of, the, of the city. At the same time, they also knew that uh, their role was rather temporary. They had to uh, do their job very quickly in order to allow the architects to basically use the ground to build up the, the, the new city, the new socialist city what was particular about the old town particular uh, what was particular about the old town was that the archaeologists knew of the existence of the old court so in nineteen forty five uh 1950s, uh the old court did not exist it was it was buried in the ground and uh they had already uh, an information f- about the existence of the old court from a uh 1495 charter, and they were really trying to see if they can find some of the walls, so, so a certain kind of material proof of, of the old court, and they did find these walls. So once they found some of the walls, uh, this is when the so-called uh, the conflict um, emerged between the architects and the archaeologists. Speaking of silences, I think... Um, I think uh, what I'm thinking about silence is that more of uh, the secondary role that archaeologists was uh, were assigned by the state officials, uh, but also the ways in which they view themselves in the hierarchy of um, expertise uh, and expert, uh, 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 niches of expertise um, in the context of a centralized regime of power. I'm talking about the, the socialist state. Uh, and the archaeologists one, once they found a part of the walls of the old court, they hang on onto, onto these walls as right, you know, right, uh, right. important, uh suddenly um, very very important uh very important um um proof of their suddenly uh, valuable expertise for the political purpose.
0: And that particular point about materiality the the social life of things uh, as arjun Appaduri put it once uh, it becomes extremely important because uh, correct me if i'm wrong but it it seems that proof has to a- acquire some kind of material being that it, it has to, it is proof that one can go back to a historic date and then commemorate it but the the materiality of of the historical Culture and preservation becomes absolutely important, especially if for those who are archaeologically minded.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, so this is one of my uh, my arguments. Um, what I'm saying is that archaeologists uh, were able to justify uh, their political um, importance. Uh, For a regime that really very much was grounded, uh, right, theoretically, in um, what Marx called dialectical materialism. So there was a sense that uh, a profound materiality was um, what uh, what represented the truth uh, and they did never uh, and the archaeologists especially and i'm not talking about only archaeologists in romania it was really very much a pattern especially in the um in the central and and, and eastern europe um, they really wanted to use uh, archaeological artifacts because they claimed to be much more uh, valid than historical documents written documents because they were thinking uh, they were uh, they were claiming that such historical documents were um, somehow um, uh, too subjective that they were really uh, produced uh, within what they were calling a bourgeois historiography and they never really talked about the fact that also an object right it is a form of a text i mean it is imbued with meaning at different moments those meanings can change according to also different moments so uh, they never really wanted to to um underscore uh the the very subjectivity of what an archaeological artifact can also represent
0: yeah and, and i think um, I see that especially in the nationalization campaign of the 1960s, when there there is this very dramatic transformation of of old town of the historic district, and I think what happens in many ways is is a loss that there is a geography of, of loss for the multi ethnic pre war interwar history of of jewish armenian italian german hungarian greek populations um so how does that ethnic homogenization that nationalization proceed in especially in the in the 1960s but, but maybe even before or, or after that
1: so the ethnic homogenization happens in parallel to what i discuss. um uh, in, re- in, my, in in relation to the, um, the re-emergence of the old court as a proof of the of the of the romanian nation so um most of the romanian um jews um that actually are still uh, that have survived the holocaust and uh they have survived the war uh have been trying uh to uh, migrate to uh First Palestine, and then after nineteen forty eight to Israel, and Israel uh, uh, found a way to negotiate with the Romanian communists to allow the, the Romanian Jews to leave. So between uh, nineteen fifty five and nineteen sixty, there is this continuous negotiation between Israel and and, uh, and the communist Romanian party, and finally in nineteen in nineteen sixties. In the 1960s, actually, uh, the uh, Stoltz officials finally agree officially to let the Romanian Jews to to to, to emigrate. Um, and uh, the, uh, for instance, um, Dej, who was at that moment the leader of the party, said specifically, if they want to leave, we have to let them leave because otherwise, the international press will uh, still consider us. Uh, call us, uh, the president of people. So the effect on the old town is profound precisely because many, um, many, uh, uh, uh Business owners were of Jewish origins I actually that's this is why I, uh, this is one of the reasons I use the phone books mm, to yes, find out yes. who yeah who were the the people living there because there are very there is very few data specifically about the old town and so I had to be very creative to find a way to get more and more information about about this place uh, by looking at various alternative sources of, of, of data so uh, so there is this uh significant immigration happening already 1955 1960 uh, so in we are talking about a decade or so many people are leaving from from the city center from the Jewish quarter uh, the, uh, and also from 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 the old town
0: yeah and I'm um, and sorry go ahead
1: so so what so what I'm saying is there are two parallel processes. But what's very fa- very very what imp- what's, what's very important about the the so-called ethnic homogenization happening in the sixties and especially in the seventies is that the emigration of, of of the Jews, of the Romania uh, Romanian Jews, Bucharest Jews, uh is also uh complemented by the this um new attention given by the state officials, by the local officials to the old court as a, as a sign, of, um, as a sign of, uh, of the nation, as a material sign of the nation. So there are two distinct processes that somehow converge and become to be used politically uh, by the same state officials.
0: I'm especially interested in the question of data, and and I'll come back to that. Uh, especially, let's say after the recession of two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, I'm I'm interested in when this is going to be. Sound like a very innocent question, but with all of this kind of boosterism and promotion of the old town as historically European, how how is it that? The political elite stakeholders, as you describe them from the 60s forward, begin to draw distance spatially from Moscow. Is it a simple nationalization process? Have you found evidence in paper form, in written form of a, of a broader agenda to to kind of make Budapest European? How would you describe that process?
1: So, so Bucharest... Um I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Uh, could you? Could you? Um,
0: so I'll read a passage. You you say at one point um, in talking about the Europeanness of Bucharest. So in the context of of mid '60s Romania, the new insistence on historic preservation must also be put in the context of the government's attempt to keep Moscow at arm's length, while focusing on its national affairs and seeking a relative economic rapprochement with Western countries. So the prom- the promoters uh, it, you feature them a lot. These these stakeholders, these experts, these managers. Um, how how do they begin to draw distance from Moscow, from the Kremlin? When when does that exactly happen?
1: So what is what is fascinating is that if we look at official political decisions. Uh, often, this kind of distance from Moscow will be placed as part of the the, the thaw, especially after nineteen um, fifty eight. Uh, for instance, a political scientist vladimir thismanaano talks about Georgiou Dej as actually launching his own form of so-called local Stalinism by um during the thaw. so basically he say he uh, is actually uh, arguing that Deh launched his own um Attempt to uh, to to take this distance from Moscow uh, by uh, forging new economic relations with the West, especially, or for instance, opening a, a new uh, economic agreement with uh, West Germany. But what's fascinating is that if we are looking at the debates that seem to be apolitical at the first uh, at the first glance, such as the discussion about the modernization of Bucharest, we can see in the discussions between architects and political leaders, including Desh, the fact that they were less and less inclined to rely on Soviet experts and Soviet advice. So um, it is already a moment uh, that actually foreshadows uh, later political obvious developments in this kind of discussions in which, for instance, they are saying, well, uh, if we really need experts, let's not really look uh, to only exclusively to Soviet architects, but let's rather try to find local architects. And they do. And they, actually, what they do is they even decide to appeal to uh, older architects who, from their perspective, were, were somehow politically, right? They had uh, some right, kind of, they were associated right. with bourgeoisie with the interwar middle class and at one moment they are actually specifically talking about very important architects in uh, who, who, who someone, for instance, uh, one of the state officials says, oh, we despise him as a landowner, but we definitely value him as an architect. So they are definitely realizing they would rather loc- uh, work with local experts rather than actually working with Soviet, uh, Soviet um, architects. So this is one interesting um, aspect of um, this uh, uh, push for a form of um, uh, autonomy, relative right. autonomy. What's important about the mid mid 60s again is that uh, we are still talking about the political thought right uh, following in post post style era and this is also the moment where uh, you see in different archives uh, that there is a constant interest of the Romanian state and the Romanian um, communist party to uh, approach uh, various kinds of institutions and states in in the in the in western europe uh, for instance they also appeal to unesco to um gain um some funds to launch various kinds of uh, projects of um um various kinds of agricultural projects. So they gain these funds from UNESCO. Uh, There is also this, as I said, this uh, new economic treaties uh, signed between Romania and and France and Germany. Um, So there is definitely a clear interest in trying to to still portray themselves as very much part of the Soviet bloc, uh, but at the same time trying to reconnect to, to Western Western uh, European institutions and, and states
0: is there a particular point in time in the 80s or, or, or 90s maybe when um, property is is devalued and in all of your interviews with with ordinary people which you cover through, throughout the book is there a point where people, Become and, and actually understand that they're sort of powerless. Um, I, I think the powerlessness is, is so palpable in, under, in understanding the role of property and dispossession throughout the book. So could, could you give a kind of historical overview of, of that sense? It's, it's really more like a feeling, but I, I think um, throughout the, the 80s and 90s and then um, beyond that, there's a really deep ambivalence um, about the commercialization of, of Old Town and, and the loss of the old socialist property regime?
1: So uh, the Old Town, most of the businesses in the Old Town were nationalized, right? They became state property. What was very particular also about the emigration of uh, the the Romanian Jews from from the Old Town was that Often for many of them, to, in order to receive a passport and uh, an exit visa, uh, they were signing off their apartments to the state. So these apartments became state property. So this is yet another uh, less known wave of a very particular form of nationalization. So the old town uh, during the communist time uh, was often. I don't. I did not find any very speci- uh, any specific data about which uh, which places, which apartments, which buildings uh, were proper, uh, privately owned. It's very unlikely that one particular building was really owned by uh, anything uh, anyone else but the, but the state. In the um, nineteen after 18, 1989, uh the people who had this uh, businesses and apartments nationalized uh during 1948 the the official nationalization of, of private property started pursuing uh they started trying to get to receive, to to get to get them back and they um filed petitions after petitions after petitions uh, to the uh, state officials to recognize that the nationalization was uh, now moot and that this property should actually be given back to the former owners. What happened is, unfortunately, uh, that these petitions often went um, uh, just unanswered. Uh, the rest, property restitution uh, had been in the nineties, especially, and very much throughout two thousand, a very, ten, uh, a, a very uh, controversial um, topic, uh, and uh, we're, we are talking about hundreds of hundreds of thousands of petitions that had been still uh, unsolved by by the state officials. Wow. that's so incredible!
0: This- yeah, that's an incredible thing. Sorry, go ahead, please.
1: It's important also to 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 know that one of the conditions for Romania's inclusion in the EU uh, so during the negotiations before to, uh, its inclusion in two thousand seven, property restitution was a key point uh, uh, that uh, the uh, European officials and various other Western states were trying to pressure uh, and trying to 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 really diplomatically persuade the Romanian state officials that they have to become very serious about property restitution. Otherwise, uh, their uh, inclusion into the EU might be actually might be postponed again.
0: Yeah. And and you say that, if I can uh, read a a passage again about Old Town in the 1990s, um, it's, it's striking to me this impact of privatizations at the end of your chapter four. You write the rapid degradation of the old town in the 1990s, alongside the booming privatization in the new banks, offer a poignant picture of the broader processes of value-making and unmaking following the end of the communist regime. The political elites of the quote-unquote wild and blurry 1990s strategically used the shabbiness of the district to turn it as much as possible into an abjected space, denying its colorful history and its defiant sociology. No longer a heritage site for the socialist state, the district became portrayed as an allegedly ahistorical place populated by two contrasting categories, squatters and bankers, people without history, and people who wanted to erase their own history so that they could keep their tight hold on power. I wonder if you could comment on that.
1: So... One of my arguments when I'm actually tracing the distinct meanings and values associated with the old town or different political moments is that in the 90s, what's very particular uh, about the old town is that it's somehow left frozen in in time. There are specific um, in attempts to intervene in the old town. Uh, I'm actually speaking, uh, talking at length in the book about uh, this... Um, Collaboration uh, between uh, British architects, a team of British architects, and a team of Romanian architects, who tried with with funds from the British government to um, to bring uh, some know how and expertise uh, in uh, in uh, not only restoring the facades of the historical buildings, but trying to bring um, new visibility to the district by trying to organize street festivals, uh, trying to really add new value basically one of the architects one of the british architects who was part of that team told me that well in order for um, a place to um, gain value you cannot really start by really redoing the infrastructure that, that will be, that will take far too much time it's like as if putting lipstick <laughs> uh, or <laughs> putting lipstick so look to, to for a place to look prettier and once it looks prettier people will believe it's pretty and they will start ke- uh, they will start coming back uh, these kind of attempts were totally denied by, uh, at that time, the city officials on the on the justification that the, the place is already on the border of collapsing, um, that uh, there is no value about these historic buildings. And the way how I interpret this denial of assistance is that I'm using, I'm using the expression um, of, of strategic disregard to talk about how, in fact, while denying any further uh, attempt to intervene in the old town and making more valuable, at the same time, the city officials um, associated with the city hall were really trying to keep it undervalued as a way to really uh, siphon off resources for themselves. Uh, The old town really kept coming back in the news and in, in the media, in the newspapers, in Bucharest, the national dailies, but no one really Besides investigative journalists, journalists, no one really talked about uh, doing something about about the old town uh, up to basically the early early two thousands.
0: Um, yeah, and, and you have wonderful stories about your quests for data, um, and this includes things like the number of, of privately owned houses or residents, um, things that that are would would seem to be readily available if you're coming in and doing historical research but uh, you can't find them and and so how i mean how do you relate to that if you're if you're not being sort of supplied with accurate information as a researcher?
1: Well, so I grew up in Romania. Uh, I w- When I started really doing research around this uh, topic, I, re- I knew very well that it's going to be a very difficult topic, especially in the context of this very st- uh, profound tensions around the issue of property restitution. So once property became such a profoundly political topic, uh, data suddenly disappeared. If If they had ever been there, they suddenly disappeared. So I actually talk in the book at length about how I tried various um, institutions uh, knocking at different doors to look for specific uh, information about who lived in the old town, when, uh, which um, apartments are still owned by the state, which uh, apartments were now uh, regained back by the former owners and uh, definitely I got nothing. Uh, some <laughs> some people were actually extremely direct uh, about telling me, who do you think you are to ask for this kind of information? Uh, I also had to really ask around um, for various kinds of people who had been associated to various kinds of state institutions and who had then done their own research. So I tried to really put together a, a very heterogeneous um Array of of data. One of one uh, very interesting episode for me was uh, this encounter with a ge- geographer who had already been able to gain access to some data specifically about the district, uh, particularly about the state-owned apartments in the district. And what was fascinating about that uh, table that I actually copied from his own computer was <laughs> that uh, at one moment you can see a decrease in the number of state own properties in the district which is basically in a way logically makes sense right i mean the idea was that property restitution was uh, an important condition for romania to gain access to the eu therefore the romanian politicians had to mobilize themselves and really start actually finally give give back these properties but at one moment um i think it's uh, i think somewhere in the mid 90s i have to uh, mid 2000 i have to look again at the book uh, suddenly there is an increase in the number of the uh, state-owned properties in the district, so I was trying to make sense of how come this decrease followed by this increase, and so when I was talking to to, to this um, uh, geographer, he actually gave me a one of. Fascinating story about invisible state properties. He, uh, mm-hmm. he, there is a long story in the book about how these properties somehow they were kept invisible right. uh, by specific city officials who were no longer interested to 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 show them that uh, they were actually uh, properties owned by the state.
0: It's a it's a great story, and you have marvelous photos. Actually, I think from your twenty sixteen. Trip where where you're you're showing um, the the red dot building for example or or these sort of interiors, um, how how would you describe the EU sort of policy of Europeanization in Old Town Bucharest? Look, I mean, looking back from, let's say the the standpoint of, or the perspective of these experts, what, what Catherine Verdery called entrepratrix, like somewhere between entrepreneurs and, and since the, since the 1990s
1: yes uh I think it's important to make though the, the distinction between the experts uh and the uh ant- i don't really I can't, know I can't even say it, it. yeah <laughs> because the, uh, she's what she's saying is basically see how the former politicians right the key uh the key um power holders of the communist regime managed to keep their power um and become these entrepreneurs of the po- of the 90s right of the post communist era uh, so they were able to really capitalize on their former political capital to gain enormous amount of wealth in the in the 90s and 2000. So uh, there is clear a distinction between the experts and this this very particular category of entrepreneurs uh, as politicians or as former politicians. Um, In the context of Europeanization, so what's interesting about the the top of Europeanization is that it's becoming again uh, used uh, especially in the in 2000 when um starting with 2000 when we are talking about um a different uh government um coming uh gaining power that is uh the democrat the democrat the democrat uh party um they are definitely um uh um uh, political faction that definitely promote privatization. So whereas before the 90s, we talk about um, a government that was really calling upon the nation to really keep the borders closed to foreign uh, investment of capital so that they find a way to really gain as much wealth as possible by actually um, distributing and redistributing uh, and uh, devaluing uh, very important properties and very important, you know, industries. Uh, the new political faction that comes to power in the 2000s is saying, "Well, we are definitely pro-European. We are definitely interested in. Um, we are definitely interested in um, finally gaining access to the European Union. And Europeanization is really becoming a, a key uh, target for both the city officials as well as for the Romanian government. Um, so, in the context of the old town, the old town becomes suddenly again valuable." Right into in the nineties it was considered to be uh uh, n- uh... Um, an abject place and I argue why it, it was considered to be an abject place precisely to, to keep its value as, as low as possible in the two thousand, suddenly it suddenly really looked upon as a, an example of the former cosmopolitan that is European history uh, that is the pre-1945 history of the city and they use it as a way of uh, gaining more funds actually from the European mm-hmm. Union yes. to invest in the city
0: Right, right. I, I see that with the gentrification projects, especially that that continue to go on. Um, so, I, my last question before I ask you about your your current research is: um, in recent years, people have have paid attention again to Romania following the the protests in twenty eighteen. So, it, how how do you see this heritage? You describe it at one point as as a kind of fluid or millennial fluid heritage now being leveraged in in the neoliberal city for lack of a better phrase among the property where not just the underclass is is dispossessed but actually ordinary citizens um are, are dispossessed as as well and and rendered rendered quite invisible but what is it that future researchers can can focus on in order to understand the the subtle changes of that kind of heritage
1: well, when I talk about fluid heritage, I actually um, refer to the fact that increasingly uh, heritage is becoming a um, a trope for uh, various kinds of uh, various various kinds of groups to really try to as i said right um, uh, gain more political visibility and therefore gain hopefully more political rights uh, in the case of Romania especially in the contemporary Romania two thousand two thousand late late two thousand tens uh heritage is still uh, very much uh, looked upon especially when I'm talking about the state officials and the city officials uh, as yet another um way to gain political capital for themselves. So what happens, for instance, in the old town, uh, I'm actually talking at length about these historic buildings where there are state tenants uh, living there. Uh, Some of them, they were born there and they have actually been living there since birth. Uh, this, the buildings are totally neglected by by the city hall. Uh, the city hall says, "Well, uh, if they have um, you know if they have the means, they should restore the buildings themselves." Even though they are mm. state state tenants, uh, at the same time the city of the same city officials are definitely interested in restoring some other sites but what's important is that they actually try to restore some other sites as long as this the money for the, for the restoration comes from abroad one of the very interesting cases is for instance the very recent restoration of a fam- famous historical inn in uh, in the old town uh, but the money came from in fact uh, in fact uh, european union via uh, the scandinavian states uh, including norway so uh, we are basically talking about 20 million euro uh, that were channeled specifically to so-called cultural heritage uh, projects so at the same time the political the romanian officials are actually using this are using this to actually create capital and visibility for themselves to in fact re- reinforce their own power
0: well wow, that that's an incredible story um, and, and there are some there are so many other um Stories of of, of uh, corruption. I doesn't even begin to describe it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, <laughs> in this <laughs> in this wonderful book, it, 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 corruption is actually a euphemism um, that that we shouldn't use. Uh, after reading this wonderfully researched book, so uh, could you tell us, Professor Grama, what you're working on right now? What are your new projects?
1: So, if this project was very much right, a story about the making the. Pro- uh, and building up of, uh, of a form of nationalism through through this uh, through this heritage uh, trope. Uh, what I'm looking at right now is um, the relationship between the ethnic Germans, uh, especially the Transylvanian uh, ethnic Germans, uh, in Romania in post forty um, five, and I'm looking at how um, the uh, a Romanian state tried to retaliate against uh, against uh, against the ethnic Germans by um, confiscated the property restitution, uh, confiscated their houses and land, uh, and then played a kind of a cat and mouse uh, game with the ethnic Germans throughout the entire socialist times by giving them back the property, then taking it back, uh, offering them, uh, um, not allowing them to em- emigrate, and so on. So I'm looking at that to understand how the very few left ethnic Germans right now in Romania are are still trying to uh, keep uh, political visibility as a way to still claim back the property that had been initially confiscated in 1945 by the Romanian state. Uh, By doing so, I'm also looking at how they also appeal to transnational organizations, such as European Union, as well as Germany and other um, Western European states. Uh, in actually asking them for to help uh, to he- to help with various kinds of um, uh, p- property claims.
0: That sounds like an incredible project, um, and I-, I love the transnational focus, of course. Um, so I, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been speaking with Professor Manuela Grama about her new book. It's a brilliant book called Socialist Heritage. The Politics of Past and Place in Romania. The book is published by Indiana University Press in 2019. And I'm Stephen Siegel, and you've been listening to new books in East European studies. I want to thank Manuela Grama for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate it.